to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fulick. And welcome back to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fulick. And as always, we like to talk about disaster recovery, business continuity, crisis management, emergency response, and anything and everything that can be related to those fields. Uh, again, I want to uh, tell everyone that if there's a topic you want us to talk about, or a guest that uh, wants to be on the show, or, or even if that's yourself, please feel free. Send me an email, uh, info at stone-road.com. Uh, you can even send an email through the voiceamerica.com website. If you go to uh, where the Preparing for the Unexpected page is, uh, you can send me an email. And, you know, let me know what you want to talk about, you know, as long as it's disaster related, you know, the, the industry related type topics. And we'll see about getting you on the show. We'll set up a time and we'll, uh, we'll hash out an agenda and we'll, we'll talk about it. Today, I'm going to talk about something uh, that sometimes I use to help uh, people understand business continuity programs. You know, sometimes we always remember things like the three S's or the, the four T's of, of something, you know quick little words that help us remember, oh yeah, here's the phases I need to think about. For myself, I've used in the past something that I call the seven R's of business continuity. Uh, so I'm going to go through what those are today and help you know, uh, some people understand because maybe not every listener out there is a business continuity disaster recovery uh, professional. Maybe they're trying to learn some uh, new ideas uh, people could be listening in for the first time. So I want to give some insight to them so they help understand what all what the what this crazy industry is that we do, you know, and what the seven R's are. And sometimes when you package things like this, it helps executive management and other sponsors and stakeholders understand what it is you're doing. We sometimes we have many complex ideas in our programs, and you know when you start talking about business impact analyses and you know contingency strategies and tactical initiatives, sometimes you can lose people. You know, if you strip it down and come down to seven R's, this is what what the the you know the R is. Here's the word, and this is what it means. Sometimes people catch that a lot quicker. So I'm going to go through one that I tend to use quite a bit. So the seven R's of business continuity, the first one that we all know, and uh, I, I kind of took the word from project management and program management, um, which is also a, a previous show we've done, and it's called requirements. You know, if we're building a program, we need requirements. You know, why are we building this plan program? Why do we need these plans in place? You know, and it encompasses our risk analyses, you know, determining what our facilities and our, our processes, what we're susceptible to, what we're vulnerable to, you know, our risk levels, our BIAs, the business impact analyses. You know, if some of these risks occur, well, what does that do to me? What do I need? You know, when do I need to be up and running? My recovery time objective. You know, what 
for for business side and the IT side, you know, because I, I do not believe that when a disaster occurs, IT does not get impacted. They do, and they have people that work in those uh, sites too. So, you know, they have to have uh, plans and requirements of when they need to be up and running, what their service level agreements are with external providers and things like that. And all that needs to be captured. So the first R is requirements. You know, risk analyses and BIAs is, is the big one. And uh, part of that can also be the executive buy-in. You know, they may have already uh, established the idea that, hey, we don't have a plan in place. If something happens to us, what are we going to do? So requirements, the first R. The second one, response. When something happens, what are we doing? And this isn't just, you know, the fire alarms going off and we're evacuating the building. That's, it's obviously a part of it, response. You know, what do we do when the alarms do go off? You know, what do we do when there is an, a, a technology uh, vulnerability encounter? you know, our, our, our mainframe crashed or, you know, we have a privacy you know, incident all of a sudden, something major, any, any of those incidents, you know, how do we respond? Do we have our teams in place, like crisis management teams? You know, do we have the right people in those teams, identified roles and responsibilities? Do we have people that, uh, you know, have, have backups, you know, because sometimes they're away on vacations when things happen and, you know, uh, if you if they're lying on a beach in Maui, you know they're probably not going to want to be dealing with a disaster. Hopefully, they've left their role uh, in the crisis management team in good hands of an alternate. So, establishing all the roles and responsibilities, the people, the the backups, you know the our contingency plans. Uh, again, business and IT. You know what's the business going to do? Oh, we're going to hold back on all our jobs. We're not going to send our files, or what? You know we're We'll only take half the amount of calls. We'll move the calls over to another center. We'll split our calls. We'll extend our call center um, timelines. We'll call more people in. Same thing on the IT side. You know, more people in to deal with the the issue, whatever whatever it may be. So it's how we respond to that, and part of that is also the media and the social media. You know, how we communicate our message to our stakeholders. You know, the people that have been uh, impacted by our situation, or not impacted at all. They're just observers that if they're not getting the right information or feel they're getting the right information, start sending rumors and conjecture all through, you know, the the Twitterverse and, you know, things like that where you hear rumors running rampant and, you know, you've got a firefight on your hand because we didn't have a proper plan in place to address these situations. You know, we didn't have a, a spokesperson. We didn't have someone managing our social media accounts. You know, we weren't paying attention to what was being said on those social media accounts. You know, and, and our reputation is getting worse, you know, because of the situation we're in. So that's what, uh, rec- uh, sorry, response uh, entails. Everything, you know, everything that we do when we discover that we have an interruption of some sort. You know, how, how we... Uh, deal with all of that. So the third, uh, uh, so we, we've got requirements, number one. Number two, we've got our response. Number three, we have restoration. Restoration, um, what I tend to think of this uh, as is system related. So all the IT side of things. Do we have our application recovery plans? 
Do, can we uh, rebuild servers? You know, do we have a plan in place for that? Our network build, you know, uh, do we have people dedicated to ensure our network is up and running, either at a home location or, or changing to an alternate location? You know, and I mentioned mainframe earlier, so I'll mention it again here. You know, rebuilding a mainframe. Can we even do that? It all, and it's not just us. If we have a third-party vendor involved, you know, and there's many out there um, in today's time, and you can look at them up in various magazines and online. If we have a third party involved and they're bringing up our technology, do they have all our plans? Do they know how to do it? Do they know the order we need things up and running? Uh, do they have access to what it is they need? You know, um, sometimes, uh, and I've been to some of these locations where you can walk uh, through a floor and there's all these cages, you know, full of uh, equipment. And each cage belongs to a different uh, client. And, you know, they have keys to it. They can go in. Not everybody's. You know, I want to make, stress that. That doesn't mean they automatically. It's all a part of your agreement if they can go in. You know, but if they can go into your cage and, you know, flip switches, you know, to redirect traffic uh, of some sort or rebuild servers, load data, whatever the case may be, they have to know how to get that, you know, how to access it. They have to have updated plans. If you're sending them media of some sort, whether it be documentation uh, or um, I don't see a lot of it as much anymore, but uh, data tapes, you know, all those kind of things, you have to have plans in place how to ship it to them, how they're receiving it, who's you know shipping it for you. They need to understand uh, on their end to validate that they get what it is you send, you know, and then they have to know what to do with it. You know, great, you sent me a box of tapes. What do I do with it? You know, you don't have a, ta a tape loader here, you know, in your contract. So now what? So all of those pieces come into play as well. And it, like I said, it all has to deal with uh, the restoration. You know, um, this could also include uh, site access. You know, like I said, it's all, all technology. That doesn't just mean walking through the door. Most buildings these days have some sort of a security pass um, you know, or finger reader or, you know, security doors, you know, they don't just open the doors and let anybody in. Hopefully not, you know, even if you can walk into many buildings, uh, you don't get to a floor. By the time you get to the floor, you can't go anywhere. Or even if you can get in an elevator, you can't get to a certain floor because you don't have a pass. So even when you can get into the buildings, you know, your full access is very limited these days. I know I work at a building, you can walk into it, but if you don't have a pass, you're, you're never going to get on the floor. You know, so you're basically just walking in, looking at the foyer, and that's as far as you can go. So restoration includes all of that, you know, the, the, the uh, parking passes as well, since I just mentioned bass, uh, uh, security badges. Uh, that includes, you know, parking, getting in, getting in and out. You know, uh, I do recall uh, having a, a, a fire drill at a large uh, complex. There were three towers. They were all connected. And they were having a very large uh, fire drill where all three buildings were vacating at the same time. Well, of course, you know, um, when fire drills go off or, and fire alarms go off, you know, doors open so the staff can leave. You know, and you've got people walking all over the place. But there was something that happened in the parking garage. 
that didn't allow for cars to come in and out. And a lot of people thought, well, I'll take this opportunity to get in my car and you know drive off somewhere for lunch or, or coffee you know, with coworkers. And suddenly they found they had a whole bunch of people uh, piled up down in the parking lot and they couldn't get out because they had all squeezed themselves into one little spot that all of a sudden was blocked off so that emergency crews could drive in. So uh, that was never taken into account because people thought they could leave. And I'm sure you're like me, you've seen people leave. You know, when the fire drills go off and I think, where are they going? They have to be accounted for. What if this was real? You know, people are going to think they're up there, you know, uh, stuck on floor or in a room or something like that. So that's our, uh, the third R response. You know, um, let me just quickly check the notes, make sure I didn't miss anything on this one. Uh, nope, I've got everything there, I think, that I, I've captured. So number one, we've got requirements. Number two. We have our response. Number three, we have our restoration. And we're going to go to number four, recovery. Now, I'm not going to go into little details because I know I'm getting uh, short on time. I'll be taking a break in a moment, so I'll just get started on this one. Recovery, to me, and I know there are various uh, opinions on this and uh, you know different schools of thought, and that's okay. You know, as I said, this is uh, you know something that I use to help explain uh, to people about uh, you know a business continuity management uh, life cycle, uh, as it were, and help them understand the various program components that are involved. Recovery to me is the data that users access. So. I mentioned actually as a good example. I mentioned the uh, data tapes. You know that uh, uh, not well. Some companies, I'm sure, many companies probably still use it. Um, I've seen many that don't go that route anymore, but some do. So all the data that's captured, you know, on tapes, when something happens, you know, your recovery procedures have to identify uh, procedures that allow for how do I identify data that's been missing you know, that, that got corrupted or lost uh, during the uh, situation, you know, when the alarms went off or when the systems crashed. You know, if your tapes were from the night before um, or your backup even of any sort is, is taken from you know, a couple of hours before or an hour before, or everything done over that last hour before everything crashed is gone. In recovery, you have to be able to get some that all that data back and be able to identify what you've lost. You can set up uh, communication lines with your partners and vendors, especially if you're sending files, you know, on, on a continuous basis. You can pick up the phone and call, you know, um, ABC Bank or XYZ company and say, you know, what files did you send? Did you know, what files did you receive from us? You know, we we've had a situation. And we need to identify you know, what what data we've lost. We don't want to send you duplicate files, and you know then your customers all of a sudden have have issues. So you want to have a look at uh, that information, and you identify all your data, your data needs. You know, uh, sometimes in a disaster situation, you don't need every single thing. So we're going to take a break here, and I'm going to come back to continue talking about recovery. Again, uh, I'm Alex Fullick. And we'll be right back with uh, continuing to talk about the seven R's of business continuity. 
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Attention. If you're a parent, educator, social worker, or civic or religious leader, the most important program you'll hear this week is Exploited, Crimes Against Humanity. Host Opal Singleton and her guest show how our children and others are being dangerously lured by predators through the dark web, social media apps, and games. Beyond that, the program looks at trends in human trafficking and more. You'll never think of the Internet the same way again. Listen Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips is an insider's glimpse at a life from a psychological perspective. It's a look at what matters to us. Why do we laugh? How do we cope with stress? Are men and women really that different? What is it about our relationships? How are they formed? How they work out? And why they sometimes don't? Every week is something new to engage you. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll turn up your perspective on life. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to Preparing for the Unexpected. As I said in the last segment, today I'm talking about the seven R's of business continuity management. These are seven uh, R's, seven words that I tend to use to help people understand various phases of business continuity, disaster planning, you know, the program, the, the overall life cycle. Uh, sometimes, you know, simplifying it down to a few words help people understand something a lot clearer than if we went into the, you know, the deep details, which we know all of us, uh, hopefully most of us, would be able to get into. So these are the seven uh, words that I tend to use to help people understand. The, we've already talked about requirements, which was our BIA, uh, our risk assessments, you know, and identifying what we need uh, to put into our business continuity plans and identify what needs to go into our IT disaster recovery plans. Our second R is response. This is how we respond to disasters, our crisis management teams, you know, our evacuation procedures, you know, our incident management, our problem management, our communications, uh, you know, all the plans related that usually get act- enacted almost immediately. Our third R is restoration. In restoration, I know uh, some people may not agree with me, but I tend to look at this as the IT side 
You know, the system um, it doesn't include data, but our systems, our network, our servers, our mainframe, our telecommunications, you know, all the cables that need replugging into the back of servers and things. So that is the restoration, basically the IT disaster recovery plan, you know, or a big chunk of it. Our fourth one, um, which I started just before we went on break, is recovery. And this one uh, tends to relate to uh, data. I, I tend to look at it as from the user's perspective. You know, this is all the data they use. How do we load it? You know, what? how do we identify what's missing? You know, um, and, and what do we do? You know, if, if there are, are uh, data missing or, you know, how do we identify that it's corrupted? You know, when a user gets there, you know, they want to make sure that what they expect to see is what they should see. You know, it's one thing to say in step three, the restoration, all the systems are up and running, all the lights are on, you know, everything is connected by way of technology, you know, validation tests are fine. But once you put the data in and it starts flowing, it doesn't necessarily mean the outcome is exactly what you want to see. So recovery tends to look at that aspect you know, and of course, that's going to be a part of the IT disaster recovery plan as well. Don't get me wrong. It's not a separate plan. It is a component of that plan. But it's a phase when you bring in the users, you know, and they hopefully your plan doesn't just have people automatically coming in to the alternate site or, or you know, the home location or dialing in from home, wherever the, the user is. They're not just expected to dial in and start work immediately. You know, uh, that's not going to happen. They need to make sure that what they're doing and what they expect to see is correct. You know, uh, technology may be up and running, but the data could be corrupted and they still can't do anything. So either something is wrong in the setup or the data itself is corrupted somewhere. There's a bad backup tape. Um, there's a bad backup process. Something didn't copy properly. It could be many reasons. But that's our that's number four. That's recovery. Number five, and I've started to actually talk into this um, with, with number four in, in recovery. Number five is resumption. So here again, this is mostly focusing on the users, the end user themselves. You know, identifying, well, we had a disaster at 12 o'clock. We're now signing in at one o'clock. Uh, well, let's go a little later than that, 6 p.m. But our... Last backup was done at 9 a.m. So now they need to identify what data did we lose between 9 a.m. and 12 noon? And, you know, what data would have come through between 12 and 6? You know, you need to figure out what you're going to do. It's just not going to, as I mentioned already, it's not going to start off where everybody is working perfectly right from the beginning. You need to identify what you're missing. You may have a plan between uh, that addresses the you know, calling vendors and clients and, and banks and identifying, you know, what files did you get, you know, so that you can rebuild any missing data, you know, and have a plan for identifying this is what we would have been doing to help identify what data has been lost. It's not, it's not captured in a backup anywhere. It was, let's say, uh, a user was working on a file, updating some data, and it's all gone. Well, the old data is still there for that file, but any anything that user was inputting 
just before that disaster occurred is gone. So where is that? How are you going to identify it? You know, are they getting their data from another system? Is it uh, through the mail? You know, are they entering data uh, through mail? I know I currently sit by a group that receives a lot of mail. You know, um, my current contract has me sitting beside this very large group. They receive a a lot of mail. Um, They scan a lot of information, you know, and um, I would hate to see what would happen if they (laughs) lost any of that data. There's a lot there, you know. So that's what... uh, Number five, resumption is, you know, and there's another piece here and people tend to forget about this. It's not just identifying missed work uh, and the lost work and identifying, you know, what, what may have been in transition when something occurred, but it's also to address the backlog. As I mentioned, you know, at 9 a.m. to 12 o'clock, okay, you, you've identified that data. You had your disaster. You've lost another amount of data. However, me, the client, I could be in New York, I could be in London, I could be in Brisbane, you know, and you're located in uh, Seattle. I'm still sending you information, and that's piling up somewhere. You could be having a very large backlog building, you know, up while you're still trying to figure out what you've lost. How are you going to deal with that? I'm still expecting you, as I'm sending you information from New York to Seattle, that you in Seattle will still be doing what you need to do. I'm not being uh, affected, you know, by what happened to you, because I'm still sending my files. I'm still sending you data. And that's building up somewhere. So you need to be able to identify that two ways. One, you communicate to me to say stop. Stop sending us stuff. Just hold it back for a little while, if that's even possible. And two, internally, we need more staff. We need to uh, extend the hours of our call center. We need to have people work an extra hour every day, you know, until we get caught up. Or we have create shifts, you know, if people are only working nine to five, now we need people to work five to 12, you know, or something along those lines to get caught up and work on that that backlog. That's number five. So it's focused on users as well. Missing data, lost work, identifying uh, anything that may have been corrupted or lost in transmission. And you can validate that with your clients as well and find out what they got and what they didn't receive or what they were expecting. You know, and say, yeah, okay, now you can trace it back and find out, okay, here's the file. Now I need to do this again. Re-enter it, resend, resubmit, whatever the case may be and work on the backlog. That's number five, resumption. Number six, the six R is return. When I say return, I mean returning back to normal. And you're not gonna be able to do that without all of these previous ones, requirements, response, restoration, recovery, resumption. Uh, you can't return to, quote, normal operations, which many people will say, you know, when you've had a disaster, there's no such thing as normal operations. And really, that kind of, right? You know, if, if you're experiencing a business outage of some sort, no matter what, what, how good your plans are, you've got something happening in your organization that is out of the ordinary. That's not business as usual. That's not normal. You know, you're operating in, as some people like to call it, disaster mode, 
you know, our business continuity mode. Uh, so return. Return can be returning back to your home location. Uh, if you lost access to one of your facilities, you can't uh, go back into the building. You know, all your systems are there. People's desks are there. You know, all their personal belongings, you know, where they're comfortable. How do you get them all back in there? You know, it's, uh, if you've got people working from home, all of a sudden, that's the contingency. You know, uh, they can work from home, dial in from home. And now they need to go back to the office You've got to account for people, you know, coming and going, you know, are your security uh, systems back in place? You know, I mentioned earlier the passcodes to get onto floors or into buildings or parking lots. You know, is that all set back up? You know, uh, is that available? If you've got, uh, if you went through the salvage and restoration phase where you were able to pull out, um, uh, let's see, pull out uh, file cabinets, and desks and chairs and maybe even some IT equipment, you know, desktops and laptops and maybe some servers and racks and wires, you know, to get reset up in a, another location. Well, now where, how do you get that all back? You know, you need a time schedule to do that so that you don't create another interruption with your customers and clients. You know, if you're moving your office uh, on a Saturday and a Sunday, well, you want to make sure that volume days you want to make sure you've got the right communications in place you've got to make sure all the security protocols are in place for your staff to arrive the next day you know or the the day after whatever the case may be and you want to make sure all that is in place you know and at the same time once that's done you've got to go through your restoration again making sure all the systems are up and running and validated. You want to go through your recovery to make sure all the data is running there. You want to make sure all their, the equipment is there. As I mentioned earlier, file cabinets, desks and chairs, etc. You know, um, any stationary, anything that might have been lost has been replaced. But it's all got to come right back in. During that move as well, you may have to... You know, depending on what it is and how your shop is set up, some people uh, won't have this, but there are still many organizations that will. There'll be some downtime. And again, you're going to have that data backlog occurring. So you may have gone through that the first time when you experienced a disaster. You may go through it a second time when you're moving back to your home location. And a lot of people forget all of this. They just think we'll go back to our normal way of operating and things will be, um, how, how can you say this, uh, you know, tickety-boo. And that's not the, the way it is. You know, there will be hiccups and you've got to account for these and ensure that all the right communications are in place with your clients and vendors, you know, and partners, all your suppliers, you know, people that come and change uh, the, you know, the, well, I'm in Canada, so uh, you'll, you'll understand, you know, all the mats. You know, that get laid out over Christmas and, and you know, uh, January, February, and March, you know, because of all the snow and the salt, you know, all those vendors, you know, people that run the cafeteria, they may not be your employees. They could be another uh, uh, supplier who comes in. They need to be aware so that on Monday, if you're moving over a weekend, they can serve breakfast or lunch again. You know, they have to uh, get their equipment up and running as well and get their supplies in place and get their people aligned. So there's a lot to consider when it comes to uh, return. It's, and then as you've returned, did you remember to shut down the other location? 
make sure that it's back to normal and ready for you again. I have heard uh, a story many years ago uh, where a company did have a disaster situation. They went to one of their other locations, got all set up because it was kind of set up for them ready as a, a backup site. They fixed their home location and they got it up and running and everyone was happy. Everything was, um, as they, as I mentioned earlier, the phrase back to normal and they were working. Then they had another problem and they found that they couldn't go back to their alternate location because they forgot to get it set back up to their disaster recovery specifications. So it could be a proper location for them to use. It kind of turned out that this alternate location that they had, they thought they had, they were proud of having because it worked the first time and you know, kudos to them, but it didn't work the second time because they forgot to get it back to normal. They were so focused on returning to their home location, they ended up forgetting. So we'll see what, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> if a lot of people uh, have that in place and I'd be in interested to know, you know, send me an email if, if you've got these kind of situations in place, I would love to know, uh, you know, from other companies, their experiences with going back and forth to multiple locations. So that is number six return. Now I'm going to take a break now because I do have another one to go through and it's a big one because without it, Really, we'll only be getting us a quick snapshot of where we are at one point in time. And I'm going to let you guess what the last R may be. But I'll be right back with more. And you're listening to Preparing for the Unexpected. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson in The Sea Around Us said, All at last, return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river. Like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. 
news, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. Uh, As I've said, I'm going through the seven R's of business continuity management, and I'll do a quick recap here. Uh, One, the first R is requirements. So our business impact analysis, our uh, risk analysis, our response, how we respond to disasters. So our crisis management teams, our evacuation procedures, communications, um, including social media. Number three, restoration. So this is the systems, how we get our systems up and running again and what kind of systems we need, you know, including applications, by the way. Uh, recovery. So this is the users, you know, and what the users need and, you know, uh, identifying data. You know, items that are missing, corrupted, lost in transmission because of the outage. Number five, resumption. Again, this is the users and how they get back up and running. What validation tests do they need to do before they can continue their operations? How you deal with any backlog that's built up over time, you know, since you've been out the last time, you know, out of operations. Number six, return. Returning back to your home location or, or, you know, from your alternate location or if you spread people out over multiple locations, how do you get them all back? How do you coordinate that without, hopefully, having impact on your existing operations, you know, and uh, meeting all the needs of your clients and customers? So that leads us to number seven. And it's a big one. And I'm sure many people know this, that if they don't do this R then the plan will only address, you know, really where they were when they first started the program. And the seventh R is review. So that's maintenance and monitoring, um, updating, whatever term you want to use. That's what review is. How do we keep our program going, you know, year after year? To build all of these aspects, you know, from requirements, response, Restoration, recovery, resumption, uh, those could take, you know, a year at least to get in place. If you're an extra large organization, even longer. If you're doing things manually, you know, using Excel spreadsheets for your BIAs, it could take longer. So by the time you get to review, you know, your first uh, test to review that your plans work, you could find out that, well, our plan works, but it represents the organization a year and a half ago. So we just validated where we were a year and a half ago, not where you are now. So you need a review process, a maintenance process, to keep all of those plans and protocols and communication strategies in place. And let's face it, people change too. Someone you identified as being the head of facilities has moved on to another role and there's somebody new in there and they have no idea they're a part of your crisis management team. So you need to have review maintenance processes to capture all of these items. And I'm sure, like many organizations, and even one of the contracts I'm doing right now, project management, 
and program management, they create change. All kinds of change. Change in people, change in roles, change in systems, change in uh, applications, change in um, just the way data flows, the way everything connects, changing clients, customers. If we don't have, and so all these changes that we identify, they need to be updated and incorporated into our plans. Otherwise, like I said, with the example, our first test, whether it be a tabletop test or uh, a walkthrough or full scale simulation, you know, or even an unannounced, you know, run for the hills, we're in disaster mode test. All these things need to be incorporated because it could be a year and a half old that you, of, of information you're validating. And you want to make sure there's a process in place to do that. And I always tend to, and this is a tip for everybody, get in touch and keep in touch with your project management and program management groups if, if your organization has one. You know, make sure you're in the loop. It doesn't necessarily mean you're involved with every single project. But at least you're involved so you have an awareness of what's coming down the pipe, what could be changing, so that you can start making the proper arrangements for your disaster recovery plans or making changes in communication strategies, whatever the case may be. You know what's happening. You could be building a strategy to deal with a, you know, a certain aspect of your organization and you not know that there's a project coming down the road that's going to implement six months in the future that's going to change all of that. And you just spent the last six months putting a strategy together, implementing that strategy, documenting it, training everyone, testing it, only to have it change immediately after and it be worthless. So get in touch with your project management groups and your program uh, management groups and find out what, what is happening. You know, you don't need to get, as I said, super involved, but you need to be aware of what's going on. The other recommendation I would have in in the review section is make sure you're tied in to the change management group. Change management group is going to be heavily connected with the project and program management groups because as the programs identify what they're doing, implementing new systems, new applications, or building new applications, whatever the case may be, they're not going to be able to implement and go live or launch until they go through their change management process so that the right protocols are in place to ensure that it's a smooth transition and everything goes well. Again, depending on what is getting implemented, what the change is, it could have an impact on all the plans and processes you've put together for your program. So review isn't just, we'll look at our business continuity program, isn't just, we'll look at uh, the finance contingency strategy. It's the whole lot. You know, you need to review everything from people, processes, you know, facilities. You know, are we adding a facility to our plan, our program? You know, are we decommissioning and shutting down a site? That could mean that somebody who originally had a plan to go to site D can't because site D is not there anymore. So you need to review and update those plans accordingly. So review is a big one and it has to be continuous. It's not just done with a one-time thing. You know, you go through all of this and then we'll review. 
And then you go through it again. No, it's continuous. It's every single day. As you find out information, you have to be there to check every plan, every process, everything you have in place to make sure that it's going to meet the needs of your organization. So that is review, the seventh R. Now, I have a little bonus one here at the end that, uh, you know, I, I add, you know, it's, it's more of a fun one. You know, it's not as serious as maybe uh, the others might be. Um, the last R, number eight, or the bonus R, is a reception. A reception to me is a success, you know, a party, a celebration of your organization having gone through a disaster situation. Hopefully, you know, um, you don't need a reception or a party or a celebration because of a disaster. Hopefully you're having one of those, you know, at least annually to celebrate your successes. But if you go through a disaster, you know, especially something serious where you've got people working in multiple locations, they're traveling, they're, they've worked a staggering amount of overtime and hours. They're, you're, they're, the, the situation has turned people's lives upside down. And that's everyone. I'm not just saying it's for a user, you know, vice presidents and presidents, their lives get turned upside down as well. You know, everyone, clients, customers, everyone can be impacted. And when you finally get through all of that and you've got people back to, as I said earlier, you know, and I'll put it in quotes here, normal, you know, uh, operations and everything is kind of running as best as it can, you know, you know, once everything has been looked at, you're into lessons learned and putting actions towards those lessons learned. Otherwise, you know, a lesson learned without an action is just a lesson observed. I know you've heard that a few times on the show, and it does come up quite a bit, actually. But a reception helps celebrate, you know, thank everyone for all the extra work that they've put in to get the organization back up and running, because it's their livelihoods as well as yours, you know. Everyone, including you, including the president, including the, uh, the the janitorial staff, you know, the people that work in the cafeterias, anyone, they've all been impacted. So a reception, celebrate that, celebrate the success. So that's the bonus R, you know, and at some sometimes at these celebrations, there's a little extra gift or something. I remember uh, being at one we celebrated, and everyone got a little. Uh, memorial type of uh, uh, um, cup, you know, to say thank you, participated or was, you know, I survived such and such a disaster. Um, luckily, nobody was hurt. So it was, you know, all tongue in cheek, but it was a nice reminder to everyone, you know, thank you very much for all your hard work. So, so that is the seven R's plus the one bonus. So I guess we could say the eight R's, but it's mostly the seven. Let's do a re quick recap. Number one, requirements. So this is our BA, BIAs and our risk assessments, you know, and understanding why we need, you know, to have a program in place, not just from the risk and the, the BIAs, but, you know, regulatory requirements and things like that and, you know, client and customer demands. Requirements. Next, response. How do we respond to disasters? Our business continuity plans, our communication strategies, our crisis management teams, you know, roles and responsibilities, and everything involved there. Restoration, number three, 
this is our systems, you know, our cables, our networks, our mainframes, you know, our telecommunications, our phones, uh, uh, you know, servers, you know, and server racks. Where are they going to be located? You know, what's going to be on them? How are they connected all, you know, and, uh, to various locations to make it seem as though it's seamless for a customer like me who may not even know you're in a, you know, a disaster type of situation. So restoration. Number four, recovery. Data. How do you get that data up and available for our users? How do we identify what's missing? Is it the right data? You know, is, is identifying, is it corrupted? Is it up in a timely manner? You know, uh, you can have systems up and running in half an hour. That's probably uh, a little ambitious, you know, in a full-scale situation. But if it takes hours and hours to get data available, you're going to need to review that, that strategy because it's probably not the best one to have. Number five, resumption. Again, users, once they start working, do they have all the equipment they need? How are they going to identify uh, the data that's missed? How are they going to identify you know, any lost work? Uh, and lost work can be simply because it was never backed up or that it was in the middle of transmission and was corrupted, uh, you know, came out the other end, not the way a client was expecting it. And dealing with the backlog. You know, things still could be piling up for you. Customers could still be sending you uh, information. How do you deal with that? Then return. Return, especially, and this really only comes into play if you're really going to another, other locations, you know. Um, so I'm not saying that, you know, just because you had a disaster situation, you will be at an, an alternate location. Not necessarily. But if you are, then you need to consider how you're moving uh, equipment back and forth, you know, shipping and uh, everything that's needed by your your employees, you know, desks and chairs and phones and, you know, the, the laptops and uh, every, all the security, you know, in place, you know, to allow them back into where they were before. Number seven, review. So this is the big one. There's all these other procedures and processes and phases that I've mentioned, continually updating them, making sure they reflect the current need of your organization. Sometimes, uh, you know, as I said, uh, if it's not done, then it's only going to reflect your organization at a certain point in time. And usually it's months, if not years before. And every organization changes as people do, so you just know if you're not reviewing and maintaining it, it's not going to meet your needs. And the last one is the bonus, is a reception. A thank you to everyone who's really been put on the spot and put out by the situation, whether it be customers, clients, your employees, you know, everyone needs to, even their families, by the way. You know, if you've got people that are traveling as a result of the situation, you know, to go to an alternate site or to go help uh, do something, you know, so I, I need, I may have a situation in Calgary and I send people from Toronto out that way to help, you know, anything that says, thank you, that you appreciate the effort, you know, it's their livelihoods. So you want to make sure that they're thanked for everything they go through. So requirements, response, restoration, recovery, resumption, return, review, and the fun one, the most appreciative one, the reception, you know, as a thank you. So that's 
those are the seven R's that I tend to use to help explain to people, you know, the, the business continuity management life cycle. You know, a lot of people that, you know, that aren't in the industry don't quite understand uh, the terminology that we use or the different examples, you know, and how to do things. But sometimes when you strip it right down, they get it. You know, all that extra fluff is gone. So they, they are able to grasp, grasp the basics. And then when they do that, it's easier to start taking on the detail. You know, once they understand what requirements are, oh, wait a minute, I've worked with projects before, I know what requirements are. Instead of just saying risk assessment, risk analysis, BIAs, and you know, uh, tossing out all these other things where they're just, I don't know what you're talking about. So I use these seven to help people understand that. So that was today's show. And again, I'd like to uh, remind everyone, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, you know, send an email. Let me know. Info at stone-road.com. Tell me what you want to talk about. I'd really be interested in hearing lessons learned and uh, less, you know, not lessons observed, but lessons learned, experiences from people out there. Um, but anything to do with crisis management, emergency management, business continuity, IT disaster planning, or anything that's related to that industry, feel free to get in touch with me and we'll see about getting you on the show. In the meantime, stay prepared, everyone. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.